0: Let's see what the stew has for us today. Welcome to the GnomeCast, Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. Today we have myself, Jared, along with JT and Pete, and today we're going to ask each other questions. Inspired by RPG A Day, which was from back in August, we're going to each take a prompt from the list and ask our fellow gnomes to answer a question inspired by that prompt. Because this episode is all questions, we're going to skip the Get to Know a Gnome question and dive right in. Hey, JT, what did you pick out for us? All right, so I picked uh, meet
1: was the uh, word that I picked, and the question I came up with was, how did you meet the person you role-played with the longest? Uh, So, Jared, how about you? How did you meet your your longest role-playing partner?
0: Oh, my gosh. So, I'm trying to think right now with my current group, probably the person that I've been Playing with the longest has probably been a little over 10 years, and that has come about because we were playing at the same local game store, and I would run generally open tables, so I was, you know, ending up with, you know, people that were interested in playing, and I just uh, managed to get a few people that kind of gravitated and were there from game to game. I guess I should take that as a compliment that I <laughs> kept a lot of the people that I uh you know started originally playing with but it really came from that uh, idea of you know running open tables at a game store and th- uh, some of those people are still in my uh, online regular group today. Nice. Jason, was that the same for you?
2: Uh same for me uh as far as like meeting people at, at the game store. At, at the game store. Um, game
1: store. Um so <laughs> one yeah, so I I've got two answers to this. One is one of my longest friends like ever we've known each other since like 93 92 93 around there somewhere we don't game much together anymore because of geographic differences you know he's in one city i'm in another And, and i'm not a big fan of online playing it doesn't capture the same feel for me but uh the the guy that i'm still gaming with today that i've gamed with the longest has been about 21 years and we actually met at work. He had no idea I was a gamer, I had no idea he was a gamer, (laughs) Uh, him and his… How long did that go on for? Oh, gosh, probably about three months. (laughs) and then it was their uh, him and his now ex-wife's anniversary and they gave each other metal sets of metal dice and <laughs> because of a weird confluence of scheduling they had to do it at the office instead of like over dinner or whatever so i'm in i'm in bill's office when natalie walks in and she's like hey here's your dice and he's like oh hey here's your dice they kind of coordinated what they were getting <laughs> each other and i was like whoa hold on you guys are gamers and and one thing led to another and
2: i've been gaming with bill since like 1999, um, was that an instantaneous? So. Did you throw that out there immediately, like excited, or were you like this no? Is no pause. You were like, oh wait. So I don't know how Bill was my
1: in. team lead. Yeah, yeah. No, Bill was my team lead at work, and he, I, I was a junior engineer. He was a very senior engineer, so there was an intimidation level, yeah. and that, he didn't try to intimidate me. It was just my perception of yeah. him because he's the, the senior guy, right? So it took me about three more months to finally get the courage up to go uh, uh, you know kind of you know rubbing your toe in the dirt and, hey bill um, I know you're a gamer and so am I would you mind if maybe you know I kind of stopped by and rolled some dice with you maybe and he, he, so he laughs because he he's actually a really easygoing guy and, and I've learned that over the decade wow decades um, <laughs> but uh, he, he laughed and he's like yeah sure show up we, we play Friday nights or Saturday nights or whatever it was the time and 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 we've been great friends ever since
2: <laughs> you see i asked because i i thought maybe for a second year all of us were going to say we met our you know our oldest people at game stores right so sure Backing on what jared said was that i actually the first person i think of i always talk about because it was like a study hall class and i didn't know what rpgs were and i was looking through a book <laughs> and uh it was the denver box set for Shadowrun second edition mm-hmm. and uh, the person okay. next to me you know, just slightly ahead of me, like kind of look over their shoulder and they had a riffs book. And they started talking to me like I knew what I was talking about. I had no idea what I was reading. I just thought the pictures were cool and it was such a unique thing and I liked comic books. And Somehow I ended up with a Shadrun second edition book, which was, you know, way above my reading level and math levels. But um, really when I got started and when I met the people who I would still game with, you know, even today, it was mostly at the game store where I would also see this individual again. But, you know, that's where I really met this core group of people that became lifelong friends. Uh, so, you know, Jared, when you mentioned that, I was like, I wonder, <laughs> like, how much more invested does that make? Is that why we're a gnome stew? Is, like, everybody had a, yeah. a real community around them from young age? <laughs> yeah, because, you know, that game store experience is, like you said, you have this more openness because you run games at more of an open table mm-hmm. with a revolving door of people coming in and out. You have that sense of community around the gaming. You have more games around you immediately. Yeah, You're not just right. solely the D&D guy. I mean, even if you are, you see a lot more because you're in an environment. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And there's also that energy, you know, that, the the back, back room or side room or whatever, the game area yeah. where you play yeah. the games at the, the game store. I love you said the back room, um, side
2: room. That's such a thing, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, because uh, you know, because the retail's up front. Yeah. That's that's how they make their buck, right? You know, and, and uh, you you got to make your way through the shelves to to get in the back room where you're gonna play your game, and uh, the, just the energy that's back there. You know, where where I play, like half the place is dedicated to 140K. That's the, the the bulk of the the gaming mm-hmm. uh, at this particular store. And the other half is split between uh, pick. I um, pick a random game, and, and whether mm-hmm. it's role playing games, Magic the Gathering, board games, uh, Pokemon, whatever, right? Um, but even though we're all playing like different stuff, we have the same passion and energy for let's get together and have some fun mm-hmm. in using these like little shiny rocks that make magic <laughs> random numbers.
0: <laughs> there was a really interesting community. I don't mean to go too far off track here, but there was a really interesting community at our local game store where once a month, there was this big World of Darkness. It wasn't quite a LARP, but it was sort of. Uh, and people were basically running different tables of different aspects of World oh, cool. of Darkness. But they were all in the same campaign.
2: Oh, wow. So like Gosh.
0: someone would go from like one table and mention, like, we're sending a representative over to your people here. And they would set up that scene and then run between the two tables. So, like the va- the vampires would have like a meeting with the uh, with the the mages, and then you know there would be that interaction, and they kind of split back off again. And
2: That's there was cool. like
0: one person that was coordinating all the tables to make sure that you know there was still like a through line wow. through all of them. So that was wow. that was a really interesting dynamic that was going on there for a while at the game store. That's impressive. How old was the audience, like the players? Um. Uh- probably uh 20s
2: 30s i was curious Hmm. you know i think Mm -hmm. sometimes it's the internet that kind of squashed some of that too is that we just uh you know people can do so much at home that like that faded a lot of that community where we would Mm -hmm. be a lot more comfortable spending more time i think that's the real thing is the time commitment it used to be hey it's not like i don't know what i'm trying to say is like i can't imagine that groups of people would sit at tables <laughs> with the, the obvious delay that there would be in each of their yeah. own personal games to have that sort of giant game going on simultaneously, mm-hmm. and it seems like something lost. It's like a relic of that era yeah. of time because yeah. the internet just kind of squashed it in so many different facets with phones and social media and pictures mm-hmm. and the ability to play online and finding players like your play style. Because I try to get people back in the game stores and it's difficult because people are just mm-hmm. a lot flakier and they're not there as long or as often or as frequent and (laughs) don't want to be there for um, you know all day right so
0: yeah I I think the most um, successful thing in the local game store right now has been the Adventurers League tables because there's there's that mix of there's enough people for continuity that always show up and then your other two or three people at the table it's fine if they you know swap in and out yeah
2: Yeah, and it—I know locally we're—we're lucky in my community. I'm in Northwest Indiana. We have a lot of local game stores, so it's Mm -hmm. also nice that that's just a guaranteed thing. You know, you can go into a local game store, and then if you have any troubles or you don't like the people at one store, you could really just go next Wednesday to the next local one. You know, if you don't
0: mind another ten more minute commute or something. So just so we don't uh, panic anyone over the length of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Pete, what was your word and what question did you come up oh with? God, from that there one? were so many good words. I don't know. <laughs> I, and me
2: just like I I really wanted to talk about forest. I, I, I just it seemed like more uh, specific and like kind of meta, which is the, kind of, you know, I, I geek out on some of these. Obviously, I have a new Kickstarter coming out that deals with tower you know, when it comes to Black Tower. But uh, ultimately, I settled on humor because I was really curious about what, maybe what RPG brings out the laughs most for each of you and like groups you're used to. Um, And like, what is it about those games?
0: So, Jared, why don't you start on this one? All right. Well, what's weird is my group, my regular group, I have to say, is really good about kind of understanding the genre that we're playing. So like in our Star Trek game, there isn't, like, a lot of random humor. There's humor that is almost the type of thing that you would see in a Star Trek episode. <laughs> but in general, probably the most ongoing humorous thing that we had recently was I was running the uh, Tales of the Old Margrave Anthology of Adventures from Kobold Press. And those adventures are for uh, 5e D&D, and it's very focused on kind of, like, dark Eastern European fairy tales. And my players decided to run with the idea that three of them were going to be playing bearfolk, and one of them was going to be a, a halfling warlock. So therefore we had...
1: Goldilocks and the three yes. bears.
0: <laughs> yes, nice. Nice. <laughs> but what was really it was great about is... the there? I was like, okay, three yes. big, one small. <laughs> you say Goldilocks. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but... We thought there for a while, you know, like, this could have easily just been a complete joke campaign. But what (laughs) ended up happening was there were these moments where, like, they were so earnest and they so wanted to help people because they were playing these characters that were, like, the good part of the fairy tale. (laughs) And it actually, uh, like, there was a lot of humor that just, you know, grew out of these bear folk not understanding these silly humans that were around. And the halfling was basically the one trying to explain to them, no, no, this is a human cultural thing. You know, and nice. There was just like a lot of that, but it was great because it was contextual. It wasn't like it got completely out yeah. of hand and derailed the campaign. It was within the framework of the storyline. And cool. we did we did something similar. Like we were playing Curse of Strahd uh, at the game store, and all of us made characters that were based on Disney princesses. <laughs> and it was really funny because at first it's like, oh, this is going to be really humorous. We're playing Disney princesses in Ravenloft. But what it turned into was how horrified these princesses were coming from these lands that were, you know, idyllic and had like maybe one major problem that you had to solve to traveling through Barovia where we couldn't fix anything and everything we did made things worse. (laughs) 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 Mm, It was, it was great. JT, what about you? So I, I, there's probably some
1: listeners out there screaming at their stereo or their headphones or their phone or whatever you You haven't mentioned paranoia yet.
2: Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> um,
1: and I'm going to, I'm going to highly disappoint them in that. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to talk about paranoia um, because it's like pointing at the guy that is um, the funny one in the group and pointing at him and say, tell me a joke, be funny. Yeah. And it just brain locks them. Right. It, sure. They can't do it. So yep. every paranoia game I run We sit down, and it's wacky, it's zany, it's gonzo, but it's not humorous because the point is to be humorous, but because you're trying to force the humor, it's not funny. Mm -hmm. I've played in one Paranoia game where the Game Master was just phenomenal, and maybe it's a game, maybe I'm just horrible at running Paranoia, I don't know, (laughs) but that was funny and that was fun, but when I've run Paranoia, it's like, it's uncomfortable, um because everybody's trying to be funny but the computer. failing to be Yeah, like <laughs> failing to be funny. It it just doesn't work. So I'm gonna go with riffs, actually, since wow. uh, you mentioned riffs earlier, Pete. Yeah. Um because that is such insane weirdness. If you get a
2: if you get enough of the splat books together. <laughs> yeah, the mashups, right?
1: <laughs> oh my yeah, the mashups, you are gonna get some weird, weird, crazy ass stuff. <laughs> I played a intelligent velociraptor that had the big frill thing and he could hiss and between the frill and the hiss and inspired fear in people but I decided anybody that witnessed the display but I decided that he would only do that when something scared him. <laughs> so uh, about every third combat ended up with something ambushing us, me frilling at it, and me <laughs> running away because I'm scared, and it running away because it's scared, it scared of me, and the rest of the party just standing there going, what the just happened? <laughs> and so and, and I've got many, many other hilarious riffs stories, and, and the, it's, I don't know what, what it is about riffs, but it brings out the... It's it's a yeah
2: just drop it whatever it brings they want out the
1: weirdness so riffs for me is a humor game but it's <laughs> ba- it's baked in it's not like i'm it's not like a meta layer of humor sitting on top of the game it's actually part of mm-hmm. the game yeah
2: yeah it's interesting that's one of the reasons why i ultimately picked humor was because it's really interesting when you think about it like where it comes from like can it come from the game and i'm really happy that like jt like you mentioned that because it it is a funny thing that a funny thing oops sorry <laughs> you know, it's really difficult to put people on the spot to be like all right i need you to be funny yeah yeah so it's interesting that a lot of times right like uh jared you mostly mentioned playing D, right like we wouldn't think of D as a humor game first right An action adventure yeah. but sometimes right it's the meta it's the out of game talk it's the chemistry of the players but it's neat mm-hmm. to hear right like the coincidence of the characters that you made and put them together it's the party yeah. makeup that was funny or or the randomness of a very serious game that mashes things mm-hmm. up yeah <laughs> I, I know in my case um i was thinking one of my favorite games is monsters and other childish things by Art dream mm-hmm. and uh in some ways it, it's designed to be funny because i usually say it's kind of like south park meets cthulhu um <laughs> because you're kind of like a bunch of kids that have monster friends and the monsters are mm-hmm. alien, super dark. And by alien, I mean, they don't understand people. Yeah. And a kid is so restricted by, uh, you know, these imaginary rule, like lines, right? Like, it's like, you have curfew? You have, you've got to do things because mom will be mad at you. You know, as an adult, these <laughs> things matter, but not to the degree of like, you try to explain to Cthulhu why, you know, like you have to get an A in your math test and Cthulhu does not understand. <laughs> right? So how Cthulhu will help you will be like driving your math teacher insane. And then and thinking, well, then now there's no problem. So it, it's funny because in that case, the game is funny because the, the character dynamic, right? Of the one playing kids in a situation with these ultimate powerful beings who mm-hmm. can't help but mess things up because they don't understand. Yeah, but but it, like it's it. the it's the naturally zany concept. So I guess it's kind of the mashup again. You know, it's the it's that combination because it doesn't ask the players to be funny themselves. It just makes yeah. them be characters of a certain type that naturally are are put into a funny situation, right? Mm-hmm.
1: So. <laughs>
0: cool. so we got one question left, I believe, and that's yours, Jared. What do you got for us? Mine seems so much less interesting than than your. your two- <laughs> hey, it
2: does now, but it, it won't be by the time you're done.
0: so i picked rest because what's interesting to me is trying to figure out how to make rest or even the time between the the on-screen moments in the game how does that advance the story of the game like sometimes even just what does time mean when you're not on screen and actually playing the scenes actively so um when I was listening to what you were saying, but I
2: was thinking about how I was gonna frame it. So, do you think it's different? Does it matter? Do you want us to talk more about like the off screen, or do you want us to talk about how we put it on
0: screen? I, I think just um, how basically how those scenes that involve characters at rest would advance the story. Yeah, yeah. So, in
2: JT, if you don't mind, I'll take. I want to jump on that one first. Go for it. I just yeah, run th- run with it. I think w- sometimes with pacing, it's so critical that we're players playing a game and obviously we want that climax, we want the tension, we want to pursue the, the storyline to a narrative conclusion, but just like real life, if it doesn't rain sometimes and you don't have bad days, it's hard to appreciate the good days. Mm-hmm. So rest and travel sometimes are that necessary, I don't want to say evil, but are uh, you need to have those moments of like after the amazing conflict, or when we have mm-hmm. all of this tension building and we know tomorrow the war begins, to kind of give the players a chance to take a breath. And I think Mm -hmm. like, you know, I imagine this is like that campfire scene in the forest, you know? And this is when we can definitely use character moments of like spotlighting a person to either talk flashback dreams, let them let out their feelings, right? Of like, what's going on? What does it mean to them? Mm
0: -hmm. But sometimes
2: I feel like this, this almost has to be forced a little bit. Like you almost have to pick one person and push it. Like Savage Worlds kind of does that where they're like, they almost yep, say yeah. one person has a moment, draw a card. Because if you just naturally just hey, there's a campfire over there, and let them just walk around aimlessly, they kind of won't use the moment, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's from my experience, at least. You yeah. know, yeah, you end up with a session that was two hours at the campsite when you're like, hey, it should have been 20 minutes.
0: <laughs> 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 what about you, JT?
1: Uh, Yeah, so uh, uh, Pete mentioned the Savage Worlds interlude uh, system where everybody basically Mm -hmm. draws a card, right? Uh, Essentially rolling for initiative because that's their initiative method, right? (laughs) And uh, whoever has the hot card, you know, tells a story about their character. When I'm running Savage Worlds, I also draw a card as the game master. And if I quote-unquote win initiative, if I'm the one telling the the, giving the interlude, Mm -hmm. I usually use that as a chance to foreshadow something and I'll use that – I, I kind of tie – I'll say, oh, yeah, hey, player, you remember your dad telling you about this clearing when he was traveling as a courier or a merchant or whatever, mm-hmm. and he stopped to rest here for the night, and he encountered such and such thing. Well, if the party hasn't encountered whatever that thing is yet, I'm giving them a little foreshadowing, a little chance to know that uh, you know maybe this is Baba Yaga's clearing, and they don't know it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the players fall or fathers encountered Bobby Yaga somehow escaped and it'll, it'll, it it sets that up. It also sets up some tension and some, some mood in that it, uh, um, gosh, I'm losing my words already. Uh, (laughs) So so it, it sets up some tension in that you can set expectations with the party and I don't know, kind of prepare them for maybe what's coming or maybe that thing doesn't happen at all. And, and, and you, you kind of give them a little head think, or maybe you set them up for one thing and you give them a different
2: thing. I think that's really powerful. Honestly, I, I, yeah. I wish I would have said that now that right, it's the it was a <laughs> moment where you could you could pace them, right? Yeah. Because players don't always, and the GM don't always have clear expectations of where we're going. Sometimes it's almost like you can use that as a moment to be like, hey, players, <laughs> I'm the GM. I'm giving you a moment where we can talk about where we're going. And and, right. and sneakily, you've talked, you've had like a little session zero there, right? Yeah, just a little bit bit of,
0: like, where are we going? And Mm -hmm. everyone's like, oh, yeah, the princess, you know? Yeah. One of the things that made me think of this is um, there is a, there's actually a mechanic in the Midgard setting from Cobalt Press that says whenever you're between adventures, twice the amount of time passes as was your real time between sessions. So if you take two weeks, it's been like a month between adventures. And I kind of like that because there isn't that constant drive to where your adventurers went from like first to 15th level in two months <laughs> yeah. time because they're just constantly <laughs> driving forward on things. But the other thing that I like about that is with fifth edition, there are a lot of downtime rules so that you can actually ask somebody, OK, what did you spend basically mm-hmm. these days that you had off? And that really helped shape the narrative. And the other thing that that did for my uh, Margrave campaign with the, the bears and the halfling is. They ended up staying in one particular town. So that narrative created a lot more connection to that town because they were assuming, hey, we have this much time, we're spending it in this town. So part of that is, you know, building houses here, starting businesses, you know, becoming, you know, friends with the people that are here locally, you know, dropping off NPCs that we picked up as as friends and integrating them into the community. And it really kind of built that town out as a really unique thing that they were connected to. And I I I really like like that.
1: Yeah, building those NPC connections, especially during downtime, because like an NPC connection during the the spotlight time, the gameplay, that is almost like, what can the NPC provide me, or what what am I giving the NPC? It's it. it, it There's a transactional thing. But if you do it during downtime, it's a emotional uh, uh, mm-hmm. story-building time because the players and the game masters will have different expectations on what's going to happen during action scenes versus what's going to happen during downtime. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen a very clear shift in my group when I'm like, okay, uh, you guys return back to Troll School Manor, you're know, talking 5th edition here, mm-hmm. and, and the adventure – not the adventure's over, but you have accomplished you know today's goals – what are you going to do? And everybody's like, I'm going to take three days off I, I, mm-hmm. or or a, or a 10 day off. Cause you know, I, I want to, you know, I just want to sit and do nothing because they, the <laughs> lu- they had the luxury of doing so. Yeah. And this was a very much player timing driven uh, campaign. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't putting pressure on them to go, go, go. Now they were like, Oh, we're going to take six months off. Well, two weeks later, <laughs> something's going to happen, yeah. you know, but uh, I could see a shift in the attitudes of my players. When it was downtime versus when it was action time. Mm-hmm. So what was the shift? Uh, more emotional, actually. They they were more. Actually, to be honest, they were more deeply involved in the story that we were jointly telling during downtime. During action, they were like, "Where's my mini? I'm rolling <laughs> some dice. You know, yeah. can, can I get flank? Uh, so on, and so forth." Mm-hmm. So it, it's definitely a, a deep shift. Mm-hmm. Uh, combat is not storytelling time for my group. It happens on. I'll, I'll slip some storytelling in on occasion, but it's. I do it rarely because I know the game style of my group. So, yeah, the 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 what you would consider the boring parts of a novel are
0: actually the good parts <laughs> of the novel for my group. Uh, so, yeah, and that's. I, oh God, just as far as like combat and role playing, I love having. I get disappointed if a boss monster type thing is not something that can give a monologue, because I love to talk to players and like drop hints and stuff like that while I'm clubbing them with giant claws and tentacles. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. That's actually one thing that it's a little bit wider than just rest, but I wish more games were genre savvy when it comes to how they express time. Because a lot of games, especially more traditional games, always default to saying this takes us many hours. This takes us many days. And for example, not to overly pick on it, but like when I'm running a Star Wars game, there is no Star Wars story where it has ever mattered that it took 3 days to get from one side of the galaxy <laughs> to the other. The speed of your hyperdrive is whether you can get there before the Imperials do. Yeah. And yet so much stuff defaults back to you know, it takes you 3 days to build and destroy, it. and I really wish things were I don't know, framed more like, you know, this is an episode and between episodes you can do this thing and between two episodes you can do this thing you know i wish that were more the way people would structure time and downtime and rest and things like that like even in my star trek game that i run when you give like long-term progress on things you will determine what the interval is and in an episode it's fine to say this is going to take you a day this is going to take you you know two days to work on an interval but i've started like if somebody's doing like a really long-term project like something you wouldn't see until halfway through the season I've started making that those intervals. This is an episode. Okay, like you can make one check per episode to advance this long term thing. I'm not going to tell you how long that is. It's just episodes. That's that's what we're going by right now. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I like I like the abstraction a lot better than the precision. Mm -hmm. It it
2: just makes for well, like like you said, better representative of genre style storytelling. Mm -hmm. I wonder if it's like the you know sort of like simulation nature of like the. The tradition of tr- you know the tradition of trad games, right? Like yeah, game, right, right. When we think of trad games, <laughs> it's like we think of these games that have pulled back from the '80s, usually in the '90s, like long-running series. So it's funny that that's back when we wanted all the physics, right? Like we wanted all, yeah. all the numbers and data. Like, <laughs> yes, I'm sure there's the argument to be made that it's the you know everyone understands time, right? Yeah. If your GM doesn't, you know, I don't know, doesn't want to talk abstract, <laughs> right? Like yeah, things, I
0: guess. that's I mean that's actually been a thing that kind of almost like hits me like a roadblock when i do some of my reviews when a game feels very like more story focused and more abstract and then out of the blue there's a mechanic that deals with (laughs) literal time and it's like how do i how do i get back into this mode of actually measuring minutes and hours when (laughs) everything else in this game has so far just been this you know Overarching, it takes however long it takes. You know, it's, it's very odd. It's an odd It's like they sometimes. super
2: bolded it for you. They were like, this takes 43 <laughs> right? minutes. And you're
1: like, yeah. Why <laughs> does this take 43 minutes?" As a game designer, I'm struggling with that right now. So actually, my, my buddy Bill, that I mentioned earlier, uh, that I've known for 20 something years, uh, he and I and another friend are uh, creating a role playing game. And our rule of thumb is if it can happen during combat, like picking a lock, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Then there's a precise measurement of time that's allocated for that 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 activity. Mm-hmm. If it's something that can't be done during combat, say building a suit of armor or repairing something or, or whatever, then that's going to be abstracted, and, mm-hmm. we're, and, and we've called that out in the text of the game. Of here's the abstracted parts of of, of the game, and here's the you know simulation parts of the game. Uh, so hopefully that if, if we ever get it out there in the world and you get a chance to read it, Jared, I hope that doesn't blow your mind <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that we have, you know, abstracted and precise measurements yeah. of time. Well, but, I mean, but we, had, we had very
2: clear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we had very clear decisions going in on this. Didn't Jared have an article today? Yeah, I don't. Nobody's heard from him. <laughs>
0: <Just, laughs> <laughs> <laughs> He's got a copy of JT's new game and just. <laughs> right. <laughs> Why did he go the from edge. abstract to absolute? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, goodness. Well, and I even got to the point to where, like, for example, in Star Wars, when people would be like, oh, yeah, there's a timer on this bomb. It's going to go off. How much time is left on it? Three rounds.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what does yep.
0: that translate into? Whatever you want it to translate into, it's three rounds. It's three rounds. <laughs> yep. You, got,
1: you can do three things before boom.
0: <laughs> I like that. Yeah, so I think in the interest of keeping this an actual short form podcast, mm. which, you know, we know there's an art to that. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll go ahead and wrap this up. So this show is funded by the Gnomes 2 Patreon. You too can become a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnomes 2 website to the Gnomes 2 Patreon. This ad is brought to you by the Colu Institute of Random Questions. Remember, if your culture provides enough Significant trivia of Grilled Docs will not need to miniaturize one of your cities for long-term study and mark the rest of the planet for deletion. If you're enjoying the Gnomecast, you'll probably like many of the other Misdirected Mark shows. Here's one to check out. She's a Super Geek. She's a Super Geek
1: is an actual play RPG podcast highlighting women as GMs. Join them every other Tuesday for lots of different RPGs and guests.
0: You can find all of us at GnomeStew.com, at GnomeStew on Twitter, and GnomeStew on Facebook. Gnomes, where else can we find you on the internet? Pete? So you can find me at Vembraner,
2: V-E-M-B-R-A-N-O-R on Twitter. And as mentioned, my new Kickstarter is probably out for Deadbeat Dark Comedy Roleplaying with Rest in Pieces. So check that out.
1: <laughs>
2: and JT, where can we find you? Uh, One stop shop for all things me
1: is going to be net. And if you hit the top edge of every page on my website, you'll find links <laughs> to all my social media my own Patreon, my Royal Road for Free Fiction, so on and so forth. So awesome. just J- jtevans.net.
0: And how about you, Jared? Where, where can we find you online? All right. Other than Gnome Stew, you can find me at Jr.com, which is my blog where I do a whole bunch of other reviews when I'm not doing reviews on the stew. <laughs> and mm-hmm. at whatdoiknowjr on Twitter. So I have no official capacity in this one way or the other, but do you think we avoided the stew this week?
2: I'm pretty. sure I hope we so,
0: because I'm pretty sure we went
1: over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we did go over, not by much, but a that, little.
0: That
2: that's true. What you don't know is our yeah our taskmaster starts. told us ten minutes per question, and I'm pretty sure it was like
0: thirty three. <laughs> so that's some extra whippings right? for us. <laughs> See, I would I would argue we could probably subtract out the time where we got completely off track and it wasn't about the question. Oh great! But, great. Oh yeah. <laughs> there you go. Right, right. On that note, thanks everybody. <laughs> Gnomecast is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Oh, God. That was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Rob, cut this part out. I'm going to start over.